Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with guest pastor Char Broderson. Before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we're about to explore may not be suitable for our younger listeners. I know that for many, this subject is deeply personal. It might be because of your own struggles with sex and your sexuality. It may be because of a loved one or a dear friend who is gay, transgender, who's dealing with gender dysphoria or gender confusion. And so my desire this morning is not to place a brick wall in front of anyone, say this is the end of the discussion, but instead to start a conversation and dialogue. And that's how do we wrestle with God over these issues of sexuality that are so personal and so relationally sensitive. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, in a message titled, How Can the Biblical Sexual Ethic Be Good for Everyone? And now, here's Pastor Char. All right, so we're teaching through everyday discipleship. This morning is going to be a little bit more topical, but as we've been saying, I think it's really good to remind ourselves of what was going on in the church in Corinth. Corinth was in the midst of the Greco-Roman world. The church there in Corinth was really adopting the lifestyle, the habits, and mores of the culture around it rather than reflecting the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus. And so Paul... Sometimes it feels like Paul has this laundry list of issues with the church, but really, Paul is just pointing out that these Corinthians have a greater disease, and that's that they have failed to understand the real-life implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so Paul writes to bring them back into line with the way of Jesus and the way of the kingdom of God. And I I love this quote because I think it's really helpful for framing the book of Corinthians. I think it's really helpful for framing how we move forward as the church today. But Leslie Newbegin said this, the choice for the church in every age will always be, will our identity be shaped by scripture or by our culture, by the biblical story or by the cultural story? Now, in our studies, we've come to one of the most controversial subjects of the biblical text, and that is the subject of sexual ethics. And maybe I should just start by saying, human beings have never found this to be an easy topic to deal with. I don't know if there's anybody who has come to faith in Christ and read the biblical sexual ethic and said, I like that. I want to do that. That sounds good to me because it pushes against self-determination, autonomy, What we as humans are always after, God puts limits on our freedom, and yet God wants to give us infinite meaning in him. Now, as we talk about the subject of sexual ethics, it used to be that people rejected the biblical sexual ethic because it was too moral. Oh, you puritanical people. How can you think this way? So old and ancient Now people reject the biblical sexual ethic and they say they don't want to be a Christian because it is too immoral. Things have radically changed. 
and people and our culture's view on the Bible. Now, many object to the biblical sexual ethic because they say that the historical Christian and biblical view is harmful to certain people, especially LGBTQI, et cetera, people. And for many, I think this issue is framed as a choice between either biblical faithfulness or love of neighbor. And this is just one of many objections to the Bible, but I think objections, especially to the biblical sexual ethic, go something like this. If God is a God of love and commands us to love, then how can the Bible teach fill in the blank? Do you wrestle with this question? Maybe you yourself have experienced hurt at the hands and mouths of the church, of other Christians? Have you struggled with how to talk about the subject with your loved ones? Have you felt shame and an inability to share your own struggles with sexuality based on your experience in the church? My heart is to create a safe environment in the church for us to be able to do that. We all struggle. We're all broken. And Jesus is the great healer. Now, let me say the scriptures do not pit love against faithfulness, love of God versus love of neighbor, or truth against grace. Love, of course, is the supreme command of God. We're called to love and obey God while also loving and serving our neighbor. And so that's what I hope that this conversation will be and what it will lead to. It will lead to faithfulness to both of these commands, to love God supremely and to love our neighbor as ourself. So let's begin the conversation. As it was said, what I wanna talk about this morning is how can the biblical sexual ethic be good for everyone? And I wanna just start with a little disclaimer. I know that for many, this subject is deeply personal. It might be because of your own struggles with sex and your sexuality. It may be because of a loved one or a dear friend who is gay, transgender, who's dealing with gender dysphoria or gender confusion. And so my desire this morning is not to place a brick wall in front of anyone and say, this is the end of the discussion. You just have to deal with it. But instead, to start a conversation and dialogue that should already be going on in the church and in this church. And that's how do we wrestle with God over these issues of sexuality that are so personal and so relationally sensitive. So let's start by talking about the current warring views on sex. Most modern Western people would say that sex is about pleasure. It's about self-expression. It's about exploration. It's about novelty and spontaneity. And as far as I know, the one rule of our culture's sexual morality is this, the law of mutual consent. That's the one law. And now within our current culture, we kind of have two different viewpoints on sex and sexuality. There's the sexual liberation viewpoint, and that says this, desire plus consent equals freedom. Desire plus consent equals freedom. But here's the question. Are we more free? Has this view and this practice led to freedom? 
Well, the increase in violent pornography, open sex, cohabitation, has not actually made us more free. And it's not producing bonding and connection, but instead it's producing loneliness. Do you know that in 2018, the UK appointed a loneliness minister? At that level of government, to appoint someone who is trying to figure out what is wrong with people in our society, why are they so lonely and empty? This narrative looks more like this. Desire plus consent equals disillusionment. This is what I should be experiencing. This is what I'm actually experiencing. And in the middle is disillusionment. Then there's the moral narrative or the fear side viewpoint. That is moral standards plus willpower equals holiness. Let me say that again. Moral standards plus Power of the will equals holiness. This is the anti-Nike slogan, just don't do it. But it actually, it doesn't work. Statistically, when you look at the church compared with the culture, it's really not far different in its practice of hookup, cohabitation, lust, and the usage of pornography. So the way this narrative really works is this, moral standards plus willpower equals failure and it produces incredible shame and guilt. But then there is the biblical sexual ethic because God's view of sex is actually neither of these. And contrary to popular belief, the Bible does not have a low view of the body and sex, but in fact a very high view of it. See, this low view of sex and body, this view of sex basically as appetite was actually the prevalent view of the Corinthian culture. And it seems to be what the Corinthian church were embracing. Paul in verse 13, he seems to be quoting some in the church that say this, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, right? In other words, what are they saying? Sex is the same as appetite. If you're hungry, just feed it. It really doesn't matter what you do with your physical body. It's just going to be destroyed in the end. What matters is your soul. What matters is your spirit. And in your spirit, you can be connected to God. But with your body, it doesn't really matter what you do. See, this is a very low view of the body. And it's actually a Platonistic view of the body. Sex in the physical world is going to burn, it's sinful, it's broken, and your mind is what is spiritual, and that's really what matters or what defines you, your mind. And we see this happening in our culture right now, where rather than bringing our minds back into alignment with our physical bodies, we are trying to, some are trying to align their bodies physically with how they feel and think about themselves mentally. This is new Gnosticism. This is Platonistic thinking in our culture. But the Bible, in stark contrast to this, as I said, has a very high and beautiful view of both the body and sex and the physical world. Remember, the teaching of Scripture is that God created the physical body. God created sex and the physical world. And the story of the Bible, the great arc of the Bible, is that God is going to redeem it. 
that God isn't just going to get rid of our bodies in the end. And sometimes in the church, we have this view that we are going to be these disembodied souls that go up to this place called heaven, a non-physical realm forever, sitting on clouds playing harps. If that's what the future is, I'm out. That sounds worse than this life. And God says what is to come, oh, it is so far better than we can possibly imagine. God is going to redeem this world. He's going to fill it up with his glory. God made the physical world. He loves the physical world. He loves human bodies, and he is going to one day redeem them and make them whole. That is the biblical arc. Now, of course, when God made the first humans, he made them male and female, is what we're taught in Genesis. He made them sexually complementary. He called them to be fruitful and multiply. We might be uncomfortable with this, but the modern translation is this. Have lots of sex, make lots of human covenant partners who will fill the earth with God's image and glory and graciously rule over the earth like God does. That's what God wants for humans. Now, the first man and woman become this biblical prototype for marriage and sexual relationships, and the rest of Scripture assumes this. So when Jesus is questioned thousands of years later about marriage or issues surrounding it, he always references Genesis 2 and the story of the first marriage. He highlights the fact that they are, excuse me, there it highlights the fact that they are male, that they're female, that they become united by becoming one flesh, and that in their relationship they are naked. They are physically naked, but this is also a metaphor of their relationship to one another. What is it? Open, transparent, trusting. Nothing to be afraid of, nothing to hide. And that they are unashamed, without fear and shame, totally vulnerable. So God's ideal from the beginning is that sexual relationships would be exclusively between one man and woman in a committed covenant relationship for life. This is God's intention for marriage. Now, Paul many years later would write in Ephesians 5 that marriage and sexual intimacy are actually not ends in themselves. Marriage serves a greater purpose than just partnership, procreation, pleasure, and sex. It serves actually a deeper purpose. What is that deeper purpose? Well, Paul tells us that it is a picture or a sign of what God's covenant love is like. Marriage is a sign of God's covenant love with his people. So then marriage really isn't about us. We don't have the right as humans, especially as followers of Jesus, to redefine that or make it what we want it to be. It's about God, and it's about, as Sally Lloyd-Jones loves to say, his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what it's about. The love is ultimately displayed in God entering time and space, giving himself 
sacrificially to redeem us from the brokenness of our sin and to bring us into what he always intended for us, life in the kingdom of heaven. This is why marriage is to be a lifelong commitment of faithfulness to one spouse, because again, marriage is a sign. There's something bigger at play. You know, when I do marriage ceremonies, I love to remind both the groom and bride of this. Like, yeah, we're here this moment and we're excited about you. You guys look beautiful. We're all excited to be here. But this is a picture of what is to come. This is a picture of the marriage supper of the lamb. And this is a sign of God's covenant love. And so everyone right here in the audience is observing something so powerful, this offer of God's love to humanity. I will give you my love eternally. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be true. This is a word to human desire. God is reaching out and speaking to us in that moment. That's why I love doing weddings. Beautiful evangelistic gospel opportunity to talk about what we're made for, what will satisfy us. Marriage is a sign. Now, because marriage is a sign, because it's about God's covenant, unfailing love, sex in marriage is therefore the way that we say to our spouse, I belong to you and you alone. It's a way to know our spouse deeply, intimately. It's a way to serve our spouse, a way to give pleasure rather than to get pleasure. And this Exclusivity builds intimacy, vulnerability, and deep connectedness. Now, Jesus' followers, because that's what this church is about, we want to be followers of Jesus, abstain from extramarital sex and fight desires that would be unfaithful to our marriage commitments in order to witness how God works in the gospel. See, it's actually not about us. My covenant with grace, my wife, is actually not about necessarily just me being faithful to grace, me being true to her. It's about me being true to the gospel. It's about me being true to the one who rescued and redeemed me, which is actually far more compelling than just me being true to my spouse. Because, well, she's a human being who's just as broken as I am. But God... God is different. God is true. He's constant. He's the one constant thing. He's a thing that our souls were made for. Through the gospel, God calls people into an exclusive relationship with him. It's a marriage covenant, as it were. And to give him anything less in return is unfaithfulness. So the Bible is basically saying Jesus' followers should not give ourselves sexually to anyone until we have committed every part of ourselves to that person, just as God does not give his intimate love to people outside of a covenant with Jesus. Our lives as Jesus' followers are to pattern God's life and love in every way. Now, finally, sex outside of marriage covenant undermines this character quality of faithfulness, faithfulness to God. And this is the foundation of life. It's the foundation of marriage. It's the foundation of the family. It's the foundation of communities. It's the foundation of society, faithfulness, that people are true, 
The people are reliable. And this is to be a huge marker for God's people. Faithfulness. You know, chastity or fidelity is not just a state, but it's a form of the virtue of faithfulness. And this is necessary for the health of the home as well. As I just said, it's the very bedrock of human community. Therefore, fidelity or faithfulness is as crucial to married life as it is to a single life. So Jesus calls his followers that are married, not just to sexual fidelity, but to total and complete fidelity to one's spouse. In thought, in word, in deed, right? It's a wholehearted or whole person devotion. Anything outside of whole heart, whole life commitment to our spouse is actually out of sync with the way of Jesus. Now, anything outside of this one man, one woman, sexual relationship in in covenant for a lifetime, anything outside of this, the Bible calls sexual immorality. And this term in scripture is used like a sexual junk drawer, right? Anything outside of what I just said, that's where it goes. That is considered sexual immorality. And as we heard last week, those who practice What do we mean by that? Those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is what I will do with my life. Closed fists, not struggling, not confused, not needing help, not confessing brokenness, but no, this is mine, and I am going to express myself this way. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, how can this definition of sex and sexuality be good for singles, same-sex attracted people, trans people, people dealing with gender dysphoria or gender confusion? I mean, doesn't it feel like the big tease from the Bible, if we're honest? And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. An important aspect of the Christian life is understanding that we are in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, but we are in a war against these principalities and powers, against these spiritual beings. And so, I've written a book that was at one time entitled Spiritual Warfare, but in the updated version, I changed the title to The Powers of Darkness and the People of God. And I think this is such an important book. So many of us go about experiencing the what is really the attack of, of the devil, but we don't even realize that that's what's going on. So this book will inform you not only of how to detect when the enemy's at work, but also of how to combat the various schemes of the enemy to mess with us and to undermine our faith and to just basically make our lives miserable. So I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of The Powers of Darkness and The People of God. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. You can order the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. 
Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from our guest pastor, Char Broderson, as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th, and this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian, you and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Or you can find out the details if you go online at israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be great. It will be.